Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. We can locate our joy in money and possessions, in a new car, in an Instagram-worthy living room, or an Instagram-worthy meal out, in a brand new fly rod. But these things can all be broken or lost. And if we're honest, they never quite live up to the hype and they're gone before we can think. We locate our joy in experiences, in the highs of sport or travel or sex or drugs or partying, but often they just leave us hollow the next day. In that moment, we're okay, but then what about the next? Hope in God, oh my soul, He is strong and He is strong to save. Hope in God, He's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. Where do we find life-fulfilling joy? Sustained joy doesn't come from houses, careers, or earthly relationships. These things, while blessings, can only buy us temporary happiness that can't sustain us in difficult seasons. In today's message, Pastor Ricky teaches us that true joy comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. God is the one that can give us peace in the midst of the storm, love when we feel rejected or unlovable, and comfort and joy even in seasons of trial and pain. Let's join Pastor Ricky for part one of his message, The Happiest Book in the Bible, from the book of Philippians, chapter four. Well, as we look at this verse, I'm gonna introduce you to two people who will make the journey with us. The first is a great thinker in the first century. The second is a great thinker from the 20th century. Both of them are scholars. Both of them were highly educated. Both were writers with broad influence, well-known in the popular culture. Both began profoundly opposed to Jesus at the beginning of their careers, and both ended up as profound proponents, apologists, and teachers of the Christian faith. And both of these two men were profoundly interested in the concept of joy, the concept of joy. Both of them desired that people, and they taught this, that people should be able to rejoice regardless of their circumstance, regardless of what was going on around them. And they they argued that people should not settle for fake joy, but should keep digging and striving for what is true joy. I want us to be less satisfied and unsatisfied with the sources of joy around us and to pursue something better and deeper and truer. We're going to walk through this verse in five brief sections. And you may be thinking, how is he going to get five sections out of that verse? Never underestimate a preacher with a pulpit. Section one, the command. The command, rejoice. So the first person I want to introduce you to is the author of this verse, the Apostle Paul, or some people call him Saint Paul. He grew up in the first century with a relatively wealthy family. He was a Roman citizen, which was a rarity in that day. He was, at the beginning of his career, advancing quickly, probably on his way to becoming a famous Jewish scholar, when the sect of Christianity arose, when people began claiming that Jesus of Nazareth was the Messiah and he would have none of it. And so he led the charge in persecuting this new sect of, of, of the faith. And yet on his way to persecute more people, he was stopped on the road and became a Christian. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. But from then on, he spent his life spreading the message about Jesus, despite the fact that it was incredibly costly for him. So he has been 
Despite the fact that he is chained up in Roman prison writing this letter, he has been rejoicing throughout the letter. He rejoices in the partnership of the church as he remembers them. He rejoices in his gospel co-workers. But now he commands us to rejoice. He demands that we rejoice. He doesn't offer it as a suggestion. He doesn't say, if you feel like you're joyful today, then, you know, good. He says, no, you here now rejoice. But doesn't Paul know that not everyone can rejoice? Now, look, maybe for you, it's, it's hard. Maybe this, this time of family reminds you of your own isolation and the family that you've lost or members, loved ones that you've lost. Or maybe you're, you're fine today, but you're worried about tomorrow. You're worried about walking back into your job. You're worried about where the next paycheck is going to land and if it's going to be enough. It's hard to rejoice in our world. So I want to introduce you to this second man, this 20th century scholar. I'm going to call him the Oxford Scholar, which is where he taught. And this man lived through a traumatic childhood. And just as he was studying in college, World War I came. So he enlisted, and he saw firsthand the horrors of trench warfare. He was actually injured on the front lines and then was sent back only to be faced with crushing depression and probably what today we would call PTSD. And all of this only reinforced his commitment to be an atheist. He was frustrated, he would write later, he was frustrated at the world in trying to pursue pleasure and joy. His experience would be that he'd have these deep longings in his heart for something and he'd try to grasp for it here and there and yet it would fade away. He says this of himself. He says, I maintained that God did not exist. I was very angry with God for not existing. And I was equally angry with him for creating a world. Right? It's hard to rejoice. And yet Paul knows the challenge better than anyone. Paul, sitting in this Roman jail cell, has lost his standing among his people. He's been attacked and beaten and stoned. He's writing this letter chained up to two guards from an earthly standpoint, he has no reason to rejoice. He should be the last person on earth rejoicing or demanding that other people rejoice. And yet, the command just stands, rejoice. So how? That's section two. Section two, the source in the Lord. The apostle adds three words that make all the difference to, with that command. Rejoice in the Lord. Now, this is the first time in the letter to the Philippians that, that this phrase has occurred. He's talked about joy, he's talked about rejoicing, but right here, he finally locates the joy and the source of joy. Rejoice in the Lord. And from a, a philosophical standpoint, this is a radical proposition because we locate our joy in all kinds of things in the world. We locate our joy in other people, thinking, oh, this, this spouse, when I get married, then... I'll be happy. Then everything will be fixed. Or having kids, or having friends, or having the right social group. But the reality is that people disappoint us. People can walk away from us. We can lose people tragically. We can locate our joy in money and possessions, in a new car, in an Instagram-worthy living room, or an Instagram-worthy meal out, in a brand new fly rod. But these things can all be broken or lost. And if we're honest, they never quite live up to the hype and they're gone before we can think. 
We locate our joy in experiences, in the highs of sport or travel or sex or drugs or partying, but often they just leave us hollow the next day. In that moment, we're okay, but then what about the next? And yet we kind of shrug and say, okay, well, then what other choice do we have? Well, Paul is offering us another choice. He says, locate your joy in the Lord. Now, Paul is an Old Testament scholar. He knows the story of the Bible, that in the beginning, God created us to find joy in him. But we as humanity turn away from God to sin. Sin is breaking God's commands by looking for happiness outside of him, by rejecting God and trying to make ourselves the center of the universe, thinking that will make us happy. We come under the just judgment of God. Not only is it crazy, it's pointless. The prophet Jeremiah compares humanity to people trying to drink out of broken jars that can't hold water, while the river of living life, the, the, the God that we were created for, stand, stands just down the road. Be like if you were out hiking somewhere and you open your backpack only to discover all the bottles that you used to fill up water were all broken and cracked and everything's just leaked out. And your friend says, it's okay. There's a stream just over the ridge. And you say, no, 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 it's fine. And you take the bottles and you're trying to scrape out like a little tiny bit of moisture. And your friend is thinking, you're gonna die doing that, man. Let's just walk over to the stream. That's what Jeremiah is saying about humanity, that rather than finding our joy in God, we've relocated it into these broken things that can hold no water. And that's why we're frustrated. Our 20th century Oxford scholar would look back on this dilemma and write that sin makes us believe that we can find our happiness outside of God, but it is pointless. He writes this, out of that hopeless attempt has come nearly all that we call human history. Money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empires, slavery. It's the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. He continues, the reason it can never succeed is this. God made us. He invented us as a man invents an engine. A car is made to run on petrol and it would not run properly on anything else. That is why it is no good asking God to make us happy in our own way without bothering about religion. God cannot give us a happiness and peace apart from himself because it is not there. There is no such thing. So this is Paul's radical proposition. Relocate your joy. Take it from wherever it's centered and move it to be in the Lord. And what we find, strangely, even though it seems crazy, is that when our joy is in the Lord, it actually is more fulfilling, more satisfying, deeper, truer, and better because it is what we were made for. And this kind of a joy can't be taken away by circumstances. Wouldn't you like to have a joy that is as vivid and alive regardless of circumstances? That is what Paul is holding out to us today. So let me ask you a question. Where is your joy most often? Where do you most often locate your joy? What's the one thing that you think, if I had that, then I would be happy, right? Maybe it's that relationship. Maybe it's that next raise. Maybe it's, it's oh, 
if this election would go the way I wanted it to go, or if, if, this, if my workplace would finally get fixed, or they would finally promote me, if that happened, then I would be happy. Or maybe the other way around. What's the thing that if it were taken away, you think I could not live? The problem is that if that is not in the Lord, it can be taken away. Paul calls us. He invites us, relocate your joy to the Lord. Now, there's a problem, though, if you're paying attention, if you're keeping score at home. How can we find our joy in the Lord if we have rejected him and turned away from him? Remember that part? Oh, yeah, we kind of skipped over that part. But if we've rejected God, turned away from him, refused to drink from the stream, come under his judgment, trying to drink out of these broken bottles— How do we get back to where we can rejoice in the Lord? Section three, the path. The path is the same things. Paul says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. He's telling him, look, I've been telling you things you've heard from me before. And I'm about to tell you some more things that you have already heard from me before, right? So he's saying, listen, none of this is new. When I came to Philippi, what did I do? I talked to you about some things. And then as I've come back to visit, I told you the same things again. And now in this letter, I'm just telling you the same things yet again. But these same things are wrapped up with the joy. In essence, the same things are the path to joy. I went through a phase I think like everybody probably in college where I was like an Apple fanboy. When I was a teenager, college years, this is like the peak of like Apple invents the iPod. And people were like, oh, you know, whoa. And then they come out with the iPhone. And so if you ever watched one of those presentations where every year, you know, the lights would get low and then the music would play, it'd be like a U2 song. And then Steve Jobs would come out and his like, his black turtleneck and his jeans, very unassuming. And he would just change the world. They're like, oh, you guys don't even know what we have. And people are like screaming, oh my gosh, Steve, what is it? And you know, and he's like, oh, nothing. We, saw, we solved world hunger this year. It's really nothing. And you think, okay, that new product, that new thing, I cannot wait to see what it is. Right, what Paul is saying is what he's been doing with the Philippians is every time he takes the stage with them and in Philippi, he just says the same things right? It's not a new thing. It's no new product. He just marches back out, same, same things. See, in our world today, we are fascinated with the new, the novel, the latest, the greatest. We think that maybe in that next diet, maybe in that next technology, maybe in that next relationship, we'll finally find a true and lasting joy, and yet we forget the discarded trail behind us. Right? We think, oh, maybe this thing, no. Maybe this, no. We look behind us, there's this long line. And Paul says, no, 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 no. Get off of that train. What you need most, he says, is not something new, but something true. Paul says the same things are what we need most. Uh, a few years ago, when I was in college, I was a part of this college ministry, we were trying to promote this conference, um, and the theme of the conference was, hey, forget reinvention. Some things are 
you know, don't need to be reinvented. And so as sort of a PR stunt, just so we could take a bunch of pictures, we convinced, I can't believe we did this, we convinced a bunch of college students with this one ministry we were working with to go out and do a fake protest, okay? And so what they did is they had shirts and everything and they had some homemade signs and they went out into the front of the college and as people are coming in and walking to class, their protest was, save the wheel. So they're chanting, save the wheel, save the wheel. They have signs everywhere. And listen, there's a lot of weird stuff that goes on on college campuses, but e this was even notable, right? Like you have the weirdos on college campuses that coming out and going, who are these people? The wheel people, you know? And honestly, a lot of it was just for the pictures and probably to freak everyone out a little bit, which you enjoy when you're in college, I think. Um, and, and, but the point of it was, I love the, the idea of it, was the point of it was, look, you cannot improve upon the wheel, right? I mean, it just works. You could try to add little ridges to it. You can like try to, if you make it a square, it's dead. If you make it a triangle, it's dead. A diamond, it's dead. Just leave it the wheel, right? And so it was the idea. And Paul is kind of holding out the same thing. He's saying, look, you don't need to reinvent this. You need the same things. Stop looking for the next wheel. Rejoice in the same things. These same things, he says, are the path to joy. There's not gonna be a new path, a better path. We get, all, we get taken in all the time with this stuff. Some, some like pop culture, religious or spiritualistic book will come out like The Secret. And we're like, what's the secret? You know? And we forget, like three years ago, somebody else had another book like that. But it's, it's like, no, no, but, but this time, what is it? And Paul's like, no, forget it. Just think about, center yourself on the same things. They are the path to joy. So what are the same things? Well, Paul tells us. Thankfully, he says, listen, I'm going to tell you what is of first importance. Out of everything I've told you, this is the thing I keep saying and will keep saying. He says this in 1 Corinthians 15, for I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received, meaning he didn't come up with this, that Christ died, that he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. That, he says, is the core of the same things. And if you read Paul's letters, you know what he talks about? He talks about the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus again and again and again. Listen, this is what the church at its core has confessed for generation after generation and century after century, the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus. And this Easter, what we need is not some newfangled spirituality. We need to reclaim the same things. We learn the same things and confess the same things about his life, that Jesus was born miraculously, that he was fully human, that he laughed and cried and hurt, we confess that he was fully God, that he could forgive sins, that the Son of God himself came and walked among us, that Jesus experienced every temptation at every point we do, and yet he never failed. We confess the same things about Jesus' death, that he was betrayed because of greed and crucified because of jealousy and hatred and nailed to a Roman cross and cursed in the eyes of all who saw him. But we confess this was no accident, that Jesus chose the cross. Because on the cross, Paul says, for God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 
meaning that on the cross, Jesus was punished as if he had committed our sins so that our record could be cleared and our guilt wiped away. He did this so if we believe in him, our sins would be paid forever. And we confess the same things about his resurrection. We confess with the the centuries of church history that Jesus did not stay dead, but that on the third day, God raised him from the dead. That it was his vindication that everything he taught and said and claimed was true. That the sacrifice he made to God for our sins was accepted. We confess that if we believe in him, we are united with him, both in his death, which pays for our sins, and in his new life, which raises us to new life, raises us spiritually right now, giving us all of the stuff that the testimonies you heard just told you, giving us new life and peace and hope. But one day, holding out the promise that when we die or Jesus returns, we will have absolutely new life in every sense of the word. Look, in our world today, it's popular to see Jesus as a nice guy and pat him on the head and keep moving on, right? Like, oh, Jesus. Oh, yeah, I love Jesus, you know? That's kind of the attitude our culture has. Nobody's like, oh, I hate Jesus. It's just like, no, he's a nice guy. I mean, he seemed nice. I'm sorry he died, but he had some nice things to say, love one another or something like that. Listen, our Oxford scholar famously pointed out that anyone who said the things Jesus said, there there was only three possibilities about that person. First, they could be totally insane, right? Seriously, if you, if somebody, one of your coworkers confides into you tomorrow, hey man, I have something to tell you. Okay, what is it, Jeff? I think I'm the son of God. You'd be like, okay, Jeff, we're gonna walk together and make a phone call, you know? I mean, that's not normal. I can forgive your sins. Like, okay, Jeff, (laughs) Right? That's, I mean, but that's what Jesus was claiming. Or, second possibility, he was evil. He was just deceiving people intentionally and evilly. Or third, he really was the son of God who could forgive sins. Those are the only options, our Oxford scholar points out. Those are the only three options. You today have to respond to Jesus by thinking one of those three things. Either you think, okay, these people might be right. He might be the son of God. He might be alive. Or I think he was crazy, or I think he was probably a bad guy. But you don't get to pick another option. And we together today confess with all of church history these same things, that Jesus died, that Jesus rose again, and Jesus will come and claim his people. Paul knew what he believed, And he was changed because on the road to persecute more Christians, the risen Jesus appeared to him and it changed everything. He says, in light of this, in chapter three, I count now everything is lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. So all of that stuff, his reputation, his Roman citizenship, his career as a scholar, being beloved in the eyes of his people, he threw all of that away to sit in a Roman jail cell. Why? Because he believed that the joy in Jesus was better than anything else he could find elsewhere. That is what he claimed, and that's what he charges us with today. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong in the entire Bible or encountered it for the first time today on Better News Radio, 
You can learn about true joy from the happiest book in the Bible. This book, the book of Philippians, shares just how this joy can be accessed and how it's only possible through the love and grace of Jesus Christ. Would you like to know more about who Jesus is and how you can find the joy that he offers? Then please give us a call. You can reach us at 915-562-7100. That number again is 915-562-7100. We'd also like to point you to a free online book answering questions that you might have. It's called Better News and it's written by Pastor Ricky. Find it online at betternewsradio.com. Download and read it when you have some time and feel free to share it. We'd like to encourage you also to join a local church. This will provide you a stable home base for your spiritual growth and a new family to support and encourage you. If you happen to be in the El Paso area, please come visit us at Cross of Grace Church. We meet each Sunday and we'd love to have you be a part of our time of worship and Bible study. You can find directions and service times online at betternewsradio.com. Just click on church. We're so excited to meet you. Thanks for tuning in today to Better News Radio. We pray you continue to be blessed by what you hear and that you'll meet Jesus personally today. Join us next time for more from the happiest book in the Bible, Philippians, right here on Better News Radio.